A reading from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? And now, gracious God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together bring glory and honor to you, acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, there are good days and there are bad days, and sometimes it seems there are both at exactly the same time. Uh, Peter goes from the mountaintop to the valley in one brief story. As I said last week, in the Gospel of Mark, no human being has fully understood what we have understood from the very first verse, and that is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So as you go through the Gospel, you do find that God knows who Jesus is, which I guess isn't surprising and and somewhat comforting, Uh, and even the demons know uh, who Jesus is, but no human being ever fully understands who Jesus is. So finally, here we are, halfway through the book, and Peter finally gets halfway there. That's progress. He he seems to be moving forward. You are the Christ. Good for him. He did it. I mean, he finally he's got a pretty good, if slightly incomplete picture of who Jesus is. So that is a start. There's half the book left to go in Mark. Maybe there is some hope for these slow-witted and dim disciples yet. Peter had a pretty good but incomplete picture of Jesus, but then it begins to get very hard. You see, Jesus decides to fill in the gaps of Peter's understanding. 
Jesus decided to tell the disciples what those words actually meant. Yes, I am the Christ, but don't tell anyone because they aren't going to get it without the rest of the story. So let me tell you what the rest of the story is. Let me tell you what it means to be the Christ, Jesus says. The Christ is going to suffer. The Christ is going to die. The Christ is actually going to suffer a shameful death. The Christ is going to lose to the very people that you are counting on the Christ winning against. But God will raise up the Christ in three days. Well, if you're Peter, there's really only one possible conclusion that you can draw here. Jesus needs a Snickers again. Um, I mean, this is the same as last week, right? He was, he was hangry when he was talking to the Syrophoenician woman. He wasn't, if you weren't here for that. That was, you can watch the video. But he's hangry again. So Peter decides to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. Take a moment, let that sink in for just a moment. In fact, I'll say it again. Peter decided to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. I don't know all the theology in the world, but I have to believe that this is always a bad idea. Right? If, if you start your plan with, first, I'll rebuke Jesus, this is a bad plan, I think. I'm, I'm just willing to go out and limb and say that. But Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, look, we're never going to let that happen. We've got your back. You're, you're just being negative. Eat a Snickers, get some sleep. You'll feel better tomorrow. But that's not going to happen. So how does Jesus handle this rebuke? Well, Jesus had some things to say to Peter, but decided not to say it privately. Jesus' leadership style is apparently to say, everybody gather around close. I have something to say to Peter. Can everyone hear me? Yes, good, okay, Peter, you're Satan. Well, that seems a little harsh, don't you think? And, and I wouldn't think it's particularly good management style when you have to do corrections like this. Except I am certain that every one of these disciples was thinking exactly the same thing. All the disciples knew the prophecies regarding Messiah. He's going to be a king like David. He'll be a military leader. He's going to conquer all the enemies of the Jews. He certainly wouldn't die at the hands of the enemies that he's supposed to deliver them from. The disciples also knew that they were part of the Messiah's inner circle. That meant power, prestige, influence in this new kingdom of God. Things are going to be great from fishermen to prime ministers. But that's not going to happen if the Christ gets killed. So this rebuke of Peter is going to need to be a stage whisper because all of the disciples need to hear this. Jesus' rebuke of Peter accuses him of not thinking like God, but thinking like a human being. It's hard for me to fault him for that. I think like a human being. My guess is that kind of comes from being a human being. I haven't explored that, but I think it's likely. But Satan? That seems a little strong. I mean, is Peter Satan? Yes, yes, Peter is Satan, because what Jesus is saying is the way you are thinking about this stands in direct opposition to what God is doing. The way of thinking like this makes Peter God's opponent, not God's disciple. But Peter's not trying to be Satan. He's just trying to show how committed he is to Jesus. 
Peter is trying to show how well he understands this nature of the Messiah and what Messiah is going to be and what Messiah is going to do. He really is well-meaning. He, he's really just trying to make God make sense. Messiah dying doesn't make sense. Peter's just trying to keep things going the way he expects them to go. And what happens? Jesus calls him Satan. But it's probably not surprising that Peter doesn't understand because it's not the first time that we have heard teachings of Jesus that don't make any sense. In truth, the gospel doesn't make any sense. The first is last, you turn the other cheek, you love your enemies, the master needs to be the servant, just add Christ crucified to the list of things that don't make any sense. This was exactly Paul's concern in Corinth. Corinth was a town that prided itself on its cosmopolitan nature. They were proud of the wisdom in their community. Look at all the gifted members of our congregation. Look at all of our wisdom. And Paul comes along and says, no, no, you've got it wrong. God called the weak things to confound the strong. God called the despised to be glorified. And God's wisdom looks absolutely ridiculous to us. If you really want to understand what wisdom is, Paul says, it's understanding Christ crucified. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says he didn't preach anything in Corinth except Christ crucified. Now, this is not a, a reductionist attitude for Paul. He's, he's not saying that that simple phrase is all you need to say. What he is saying is within that simple phrase is a profound mystery that makes absolutely no sense. And once you wrap your mind around that scandalous phrase, Christ crucified, then you'll have the knowledge you need to be the servant that God calls each of us to be. Paul is acknowledging Peter's problem here. How does Christ crucified make any sense? Look, in the first century, they had seen their share of messiahs. They had seen plenty of would-be messiahs come along. And I'm certain a lot of them found their way to be crucified. And all of their movements died out, and all of their followers were scattered. Everyone knows Christ crucified is failure. Christ crucified is the end. But Paul is saying, no, actually, it's not failure this time. In fact, Christ crucified is actually a feature. This crucifixion, which looks like a loss, actually gives way to glorious resurrection, which is true victory. And once you understand that, you've got it. Well, losing is winning. Who can blame anyone for having a hard time with that? And I'll be honest, in this passage today, it's a little bit scary. When we read Mark chapter 8, I can't shake that this text is a warning to all of us. You can have a pretty good understanding of who Jesus is and still be completely wrong. You can take your pretty good understanding of Jesus and combine it with your belief about who Jesus should be, and you find yourself standing exactly opposite God. I believe the greatest threat to the gospel is when people take a pretty good, if incomplete, understanding of who Jesus is and combine it with something else. Some people take a pretty good, if incomplete, understanding of Jesus and combine it with nationalism so that the goals of Jesus are the same as the goals of a nation. Some combine a pretty good, if incomplete, understanding of Jesus with a, a partisan political agenda 
Some combine Jesus with economic goals. But there's nothing more dangerous than taking a pretty good, if incomplete, understanding of who Jesus is and combining it with what I think Jesus should be. We create God in our own image, you know, the image that, that we want for God, the God who, who likes the same people that we do, the God who votes the way we do, the God who hates the people we hate, the God who likes the worship music that we like, who likes the hymns that we like. We create a God who is far more likely to extend grace for my mistakes, but extend judgment for the same in others. Those are the people who made God the angriest in the Bible. The people who had a pretty good understanding of God, but filled in the gaps with what they thought was right. And it doesn't matter whether it was the northern kingdom of Israel in the time of Amos and Hosea, or the southern kingdom of Judah in the time of Micah and Isaiah, or whether it was Job's friends or Moses in Numbers chapter 20, whether it was the Corinthians that Paul had to deal with or the Pharisees that Jesus was interacting with. That may be one of the most dangerous things about growing up in the church or just being a Christ follower for a very long time. You can start to think that God wants the same things for you that you want for you. You don't really take to heart the command to walk by faith and not by sight. These disciples have been walking with Jesus now for eight chapters. That's a lot of sight. And suddenly, the humility that comes from faith sort of disappears. They must have felt like they had a pretty good handle on who Jesus was. And besides feeling a little familiar with who Jesus is, can I take a moment to say, Peter's plan makes a lot of sense. Don't get crucified is a plan I can get behind. I mean, I certainly try to live by it, and I mean, don't get crucified seems like a pretty good plan for me for Jesus. I mean, let's follow Peter's plan through to the end here. Think of the good Jesus could have done if he had lived into that vision that everyone had for him as that earthly ruler. With Christ's wisdom and power, think of the good. Think of the wonders of his kingdom if he had given in to that temptation, a very easy temptation to rationalize. But Christ doesn't. He sticks to God's plan. The truth is it would have been a lot easier to give in to that temptation. It would have been a lot easier just to do what people were expecting. You could have crowds of people that would come to fight for him, crowds of people that he could have taught, crowds that would come rather than dying alone between two thieves. That sounds like a much better plan. That sounds like a plan that makes a lot of sense with easily quantifiable, manageable goals. And that plan, Jesus says, that one comes from the pit of hell. That plan stands directly opposite to what God wants. You know, there are plenty of ways to syncretize the pretty good, if incomplete, understanding of Jesus with our judgments and our desires of what seems right to us. And every one of them is Satan. There are plenty of times that God wants us to bring our talents and our individuality and lay them on the altar. There are plenty of times that God wants us to paint on the palette that he brings for God to say, hey, what can you offer? How will your gifts color this page? Unfortunately for us, this is not one of those times. This is not one of those, how will your unique gifts and vision contribute to the shape of the kingdom of God? No, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is, this is the kingdom of God, and it is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Rob, in my case. The kingdom comes my way, not yours. 
Well, the truth is we've all been there. We've all had our moments of success and failure, and we all fall victim to the lure of the plans of this world. We all think of life as Peter did, with human vision. Sure, we know it's empty and not lasting, but it sure seems like a better plan than crucifixion. Dying to ourselves, denying ourselves. As opposed to Peter, who later on denies Jesus. Well, my advice for you is my advice for me. We must be careful. Be careful about thinking that we know just how God will work. Peter spent years walking and talking and listening and eating with the Son of God right in his midst. And he missed it. He forgot how to walk by faith. He forgot that his goal was to reflect God into this world, not to reflect himself into God. He forgot just how surprising God can be. Next week at my installation, a friend of mine will be bringing the message. Uh, and I called Randall when I was seeking God's will about coming to this congregation. And I said, I just never believed that this would happen. I just never thought that God would call me to a church. And Randall said, well, don't forget that uh, God's other name is Surprise. We forget how surprising God can be. Well, may we remember that God's other name is Surprise. May we remember that no matter how long we've been on this journey, God can move in ways that can shake our long-held beliefs. I wonder how this story would have gone if Peter had pulled Jesus aside and instead of rebuking him said, I don't understand. That, that runs against what I thought. That doesn't make any sense. How does that make sense? Creating this humility that had a teachable moment rather than pulling Jesus aside to rebuke him. May we all have the humility it takes to allow God to create us in the divine image rather than trying to fit God into our understandings of the world. It's God's vision that leads to life through death. It's God's vision that gives work and life purpose and meaning. It's God's vision that changes everything. And when God's vision doesn't seem to make sense, may we remember to walk by faith and not by sight. May we all be fools for God every day that we live. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, there is a depth to your love. There is a depth to your grace. And you move in ways that reveal the shallowness of our thinking. Thank you for your seemingly infinite patience with us. Thank you for the ways in which you rebuke us, remind us of exactly who you are. Thank you for being so much bigger than our vision for you. Help us, God, to deny ourselves and take up our cross rather than denying you three times or four or five. Help us to crucify all of the Satan in our lives and resurrect your transformative and hard-to-believe way. Help us to find the transformative power of your resurrection and help us to constantly be surprised by it. Help us to truly reflect you in this world in all we do rather than reflecting ourselves into your image. Forgive us when the way grows challenging and we are tempted to rebuke you. Grow us in your way and help us look more like you each day. In Christ's name, amen.